Precious Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, that as we ask for wisdom from above, you will impart it. This morning, I pray that as we open our hearts to being informed that, Lord, you will buffet and buffer this information as your Holy Spirit filters what each of us is able to receive. I pray that you'll give me clarity of mind and that the information will not overshadow the purpose that you ordained to be accomplished in each of our lives. And may you be praised as we counteract the counterfeit, as we unmask the attempts the enemy is making to pull us into this vortex of deception. And may the end result be the salvation of our children, the strengthening of our walk with you, and the praise that you alone deserve. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This morning we are on, we are at Station 3. Station 3. Two days ago we got on board a train, and I said to you, we're not going to get off of this train until the ride is done. And the ride is done on Friday. Station 3 is entitled Mixed Signals. Say that with me. What is it? Mixed signals. We live in a world today where the signals are mixed. And unless our minds are furnished with the ability to be able to discern between light and dark, good and evil, then we don't get the message clearly. And so what I'm going to do today is we're going to see the difference or witness the difference or the contest between the obvious and the obscure. Satan has a way of orchestrating his kingdom so that those of us who are in God's kingdom are, sometime bl are sometimes blinded to his approach in the pathway of deception. I remember reading in Ellen White's writings, uh, she said that Satan's footsteps are noiseless. They creep upon us, and before we know it, they overwhelm us. And so this morning, what I'm going to do by this presentation, I am going to, as it were, add some sound to Satan's footsteps so that not only will your eyes continually be opened, but your minds will be quickened. Because what, I'm, what I've been presenting over the last two days, our young people are being challenged by this at an alarming rate. And I've made attempts to present this at some of our academies and some of our colleges. And frankly, the doors are closed because the sad reality is many of, many of our own people don't want to hear about it. And as I've traveled the world and I've seen worship going in a completely different direction, when your worship style is foreign to the truth, then Satan is making a tremendous impact on you. When your entertainment pulls you away from the truth, then Satan is making an impact on you. When the music you listen to no longer causes you to feel any sense or of a need of re reformation or, or change, then Satan is stealthily stealing a march upon us. And so this morning I'm going to share some things with you that there are going to be some video clips. Uh, if I have enough time, I'll get to some of the the video clips of showing you how music is able to change your emotion in a split second. And you'll see how that happens. I'm also going to talk about the rise of 
a book series, uh, some of you heard about the Harry Potter book series and how that came to such a prominent place. But let me begin by giving you a Bible text here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. And the Bible talks about how Satan works. And the Apostle Paul says, whose minds the God of this age has done what? Has blinded. And here are the ones whose minds are blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So the deeper a person gets into this world, the darker their understanding, the greater the inability to be able to see what Satan is doing to them. When I was involved in the music world, when I was a disc jockey, when I was involved in clubbing and partying and gambling and pool hustling, my senses of spirituality were dead. So the devil's really not concerned about those who are already on the path of destruction. He's not concerned about them at all. But he's concerned about those of us who are on the path of righteousness. And his aim is really not the world because he already has them. But the ones he wants to take into his grasp are those who are in the army of light, who he knows that their artillery is the word of God and truth. So if you can get us to minimize that which is being maximized and maximize that which is, which is being minimized, if he can get us to turn away from the very thing that God has established as our strength, then he knows that he's stealing a march upon us. We're also going to see that the occult world seduces through blindness. I'm going to pray, play right now a video clip, and what I want you to listen carefully for is this movie came out about maybe 20 years ago. But in this very short scenario, what you're going to see in the very beginning is the producers of this short clip are telling the audience, and, and, amaze, and it amazes me, they are, they are actually telling the audience in this little scenario what kind of world they're in and how the world is orchestrated and how the world is establishing a system of slavery. From the time we're born, we're born into a system of slavery that holds on to us. Everything about our world is designed for that. Then you're going to see a short clip I edited. Uh, I'm going to show you one of the more popular artists, and many people know her by just a single name, Beyonce. What you're going to see is the reaction of the audiences that she gave concerts all over the world, and the clip you're going to see is the reaction of her audiences before she even performs. And you're going to be able to see the kind of spirit that controls her audience. But what, but what I want you to keep in mind also is anybody who sells out to this, what I call this mega platform of fame and fortune, they all have the same kind of reaction. If you go all the way back to Elvis, anybody remember Elvis? They said he's still alive. In some way he is. Because it seems like every year during his birthday, there is some kind of pilgrimage down to Graceland, and people are still worshiping a man that has died a long time ago. The Beatles. Everybody that's raised to this level of mega platform stardom and fame and fortune, they all get the same reaction from their audiences. Because the devil has promised, he shows them the kingdoms of this world in all their glory, and he says... All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me.
But remember, as I said yesterday, it is not the journey that we're on alone, but it's the final destination. And when these groups make a contract with the devil, the end result is their souls belong to him. When I gave this series, first I, I got a phone call from Janet Jackson's entertainment lawyer who worked for Universal. He left three messages on my phone at home. I don't know how he got my phone number. But I still keep that message, and we become good friends. And he said to me, when I saw your series, Unclean Spirits, my wife and I watched it five times. That's 25 hours of watching, viewing. And the way, he, the way that happened, he says, he was in a search for truth. The Lord had been tapping him on the shoulder, and he just went and began to peruse the Internet looking for truth. And he said, and your picture just kept coming up, and I don't even know who you are. He says, so after it kept coming up, I decided, well, let me just go ahead and look and to see what this guy's all about. And he said, and when I saw your series, it grabbed my attention because he says, I'm in that industry. So he said, one of the first questions he asked, he says, let me ask you the question, how did you gain access to this information? It's just not readily available. And we spoke, when I left my home, I was driving to Nashville, Tennessee, when I made a t contact with him, he, we spoke for about four hours on the phone. Now we're good friends. And he's been able to tell me things about the industry that um, to enhance the knowledge that I received in my own research. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, what's happening in our world is very real. And the deception, and this is the scary part, the deception is finding its way into our institutions. It's finding its way into our colleges and in our, in our elementary schools. And very few people are standing up against it. But if you think about the aim of the enemy, the war that he began in heaven, he's taken to the earth. And because he knows he has but a short time, he has intensified his attack against the church. Now, I'll read this text. We read it yesterday, but I want to go ahead and just read the second part of it. The Bible says, so the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who does what? Deceives how much of the world? The whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. I ended yesterday with this slide, and I want to bring it back up again, because he is making his inroads. We are living in a generation where the devil is no longer trying to cloak his attempts, but in some senses, he's coming out right in our face. I mentioned to you on Fox uh, television, they had a series called Lucifer, and it came out as a comedy, as a sitcom, and people were laughing their way into the somehow uh, 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 embracing or acceptance of Lucifer. And because they're not spiritual, it's a comedy to them. And they think of the devil as we sometimes used to think of him as just the guy that wears a red cape and he's a Halloween figure. No, friends, it's much darker than that. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And there are certain groups that have dedicated themselves. Here are a couple of them right here. A Led Zeppelin. You'll see on the bottom of their album cover a lot of the Egyptian symbols, the occult symbols there. And then also on the right side of that, another a group called... Uh, Led Zeppelin, they wrote a song called Stairway to Heaven. That's not the heaven we're talking about. That's their heaven. 
Another group that you've heard about, Black Sabbath. On my way in this morning, uh, one of the pastors, and you know what I want to say? Thank the Lord that some of us who used to be there are no longer there. Can you say amen? Because a lot of us have come out of that. I'm amazed how many pastors used to be in that industry. I mean, when I say industry, they used to be affected by that kind of a world. But God, in His mercy, has taken the time to deliver us. Black Sabbath. They had an album that they intentionally named. We sold our soul for rock and roll. And there they have a skull. And notice what they have on the skull. They have what many people think is a religious symbol. But long before the cross became a religious symbol, one of the reasons why the Romans used the cross to crucify Christ, it was because it was the highest representation of a pagan altar. And so when they use the cross, when you see rock artists wearing crosses, they're not Christian rock artists. By wearing the cross, they are boasting that they participated in the crucifixion of Christ. And as one young lady reminded me this morning, even when they sing songs that are religious in nature, they're not singing it to our God, they're singing it to their God. Even though they may use a hymn, they're singing it to their Lord. At that concert, you could also buy shirts, and sometimes you see people wearing this. Black Sabbath, one of the shirts that were being sold at their concert, we sold our soul for rock and roll. Another group that I talked about that may be still playing, I don't know, they're probably 90 years old now, uh, the Rolling Stones seem like they've been around for a long time. Here's an album called Sympathy for the Devil. Let me read some of the lyrics for it and give you some of the um, background on the anthology of this album. Sympathy for the Devil is credited to Jagger, that's Mick Jagger and Richards, though the song was largely a Jagger composition. The working title of the song was, and it went through certain transitions, first it was called The Devil Is My Name, having earlier been called Fallen Angels. And it is sung by Jagger as a first-person narrative from the point of view of the devil, recounting his control over the events of human history or human existence. So he's, he's writing this song and singing it as a mouthpiece, speaking in the devil's behalf. And this is the kind of thing that when it gets into our minds, I spoke to one of our church members uh, not too long ago, a few years ago, and even though she's been a Christian for many, many years, she said she never forgets when she was at a Rolling Stones concert. She said they, they, they transitioned into a part of their concert that became a worship service to Satan. And she said, and she didn't remember anything that had happened until two days later. Didn't remember what happened at all. Her mind went clear. She said, I got home. I know that. But what happened in the concert, I didn't remember until two days later. Look at some of the lyrics to the song, Sympathy for the Devil. And I want to move at a quicker pace. Some of the lyrics. Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man of wealth and taste. I've been around for a long, long year stole many a man's soul to waste. I was round when Jesus Christ had his moment of doubt and pain, made sure that Pilate washed his hands and sealed his fate. Who is he talking about? Satan. Just as every cop is a criminal and all the sinners saints, as heads as tails, just call me Lucifer 
because I'm in need of some restraint. That's just some of the lyrics on that album. I chose not to put them all there because it's a very, very, very long song, much longer than, you know, the nine stanzas on Shall We Gather at the River. But it's just over and over, and in every context, every verse, he brings out one more aspect of the fact that this song was definitely inspired and a representation of the Dark Lord. Alistair Crowley, in his establishment of this entire cult world, I talked about this a couple of days ago, he established a religion called Thelema. And this is Thelma, I've got to fix that, it's Thelema. T-H-E-L-E-M-A, not Thelma, which is simply the Greek word for will. And there you see a copy of his Bible, the Book of the Law, Libra Alvelirgis. He also was the head of the OTO religious system. And this, I'll zoom in on it in just a moment, he put together what might be referred to as um, a composition in art, that in this art piece you'll see all the representations, and I'll break it down in just a moment, of the communication of his occult religion. Let me just zoom in more. On the very top, if you can see it, you see the, you see the name Alistair Crowley, you see that? It's right there. Then you see at the very top the letters OTO, the upside-down triangle. We'll zoom in on those in just a moment. And then you see the mantra, do what thou wilt. But don't miss, at the bottom left, you have the letter A, that's the alpha, and then you have the other Greek letter on the right side, omega. This uh, symbolism also includes two obelisks, one to the left and one to the right. And let me break that down very briefly. Here it is. The obelisk to the left starts with the word alpha. Now, why do they use alpha? Because I mentioned to you a moment ago, or a few days ago, everything that Christianity has established, Satan uses it to pervert it. He uses what is established in the Bible. So they call their God the alpha. But who is the alpha? Somebody tell me. Who's the omega? Christ is. The alpha and the omega. But look at the symbolism. They begin with alpha. And then in this obelisk, you have these words uh, along the revolving, or I should say, ever-winding path of this obelisk. Thelema, the religion they establish. Golden Dawn, one of, one of the sororities. Libra al-Villages, the Bible that they wrote. And then also the phrase abrahadabra. I'll talk about that in just a moment. On the right, you have alpha. Then you have the pentacle. Then you have an up, pointing up triangle, which is air, pointing down, which is water. And at the very base of that obelisk, you have the three numbers 666. Now, going to the right obelisk, you have the word true will. In fact, their aim is to help you accomplish your true will, not God's true will. Then you have another sorority of this occult world, Argentium Astron. Then you have the main order, Ordo Templi Orientis, or OTO. Then you have the very bottom, Mysteria Mystica Mayamar, another sorority. To the right of that, you have the symbol Omega. Then the pentagram. Then another triangle aiming up, fire, then down earth, and the number 418, which is a hidden communication. When you add, let me show you how this works. 418, does that mean anything to you? Does it mean anything to you? Well, let me show you how they hide their symbolism. Add it up. Add it up. Four plus one is five, and eight is what? Thirteen. So they put the symbolism, they hide it 
in a group of numbers when, in fact, all they're trying to communicate is 13. But they put 418, and we miss it. This very symbolism is used by many of the popular artists. On the right here, you have Beyonce in one of her uh, music videos. There she does, in the background, have the pentagram, the upside-down star. Then another demonic artist on the left, by the name of Kesha, she has a pointing up, which is the pentacle. Now, some of us often recognize that as the star of David. I'll show you the difference as we continue. Here we have again the pentacle on the left. When, when you look at each point of that pentacle, you have on the top, you have spirit to the left, ear, water, earth, fire. But when it's inverted, which is the symbolism often used in the occult world, they invert the star. And notice why. Then you have earth, fire, ear, water. And where is the spirit? Somebody tell me. On the top or the bottom? On the bottom. Why? Because they don't worship the spirit from above. They worship the spirit from beneath. Now, when you think of it, when you think of ear, water, fire, earth, <laughs> what music group do you think of earth, wind, and fire? When I was at Oakwood, I have to confess, when I went to Oakwood College in uh, 1979, I had just been delivered from that world. I was just coming out of it, but my favorite group was earth, wind, and fire. And my dorm room was right above the dean's room. And I cannot tell you how many times he took my radio away because I was playing Earth, Wind, and Fire. And Earth, Wind, and Fire, one of the R&B groups that's known to be very occult-based. Look at all the Egyptian symbolism included in their album covers. And one of, their, one of their songs, which was Shining Star, and you'll find out where the star comes from, you're a shining star, no matter who you are, shining bright to see what you can truly be. Truly be in the sense of when you follow their path, Satan helps you accomplish your will, not the will of the Father. Now, where else do we see the star being portrayed? Well, let's go to the next slide. Movie star, night of stars. Why do they use that term stars? Revelation 12 verse 7 tells you. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. So the devil, while the people of God, according to Daniel, when you stand for truth, the Bible says you'll be like a star shining bright. Can I get an amen? But that's for the right reason. But Satan takes the very same terminology and says, if you follow me, I'll make you a star. That's why the best thing the world can give you is a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. When you reach the pinnacle of fame and fortune, that's what they give you, a star, where dogs can come by and express themselves. A star. I don't want a star on the ground. I want a star on my crown. What do you say? But the world makes you think that somehow if you gain stardom, and the reality of it is, I, I saw this the other day, my wife and I, Matter of fact, I think my wife found it and showed it to me. They said, no matter what you possess, no matter what your level of fame and fortune, your casket is the same size. And your grave is the same dimensions. 
And it's the same depth, six feet. But the devil makes you think somehow that when he gives you fame to bring you to the point of stardom, that you're better than, better than everybody else. They've got to die and face the judgment just as every one of us. The star. There's something else that Alistair Crowley brought into prominence, and here it is, the Eye of Horus. We're going to talk about that in a moment. The Eye of Horus is an Egyptian symbol known as the third eye. And here is the meaning of this, and you'll see how it really fits into the music world and into the entertainment world in just a moment. But there's some foundation I have to lay. In Hinduism, it's the eye of clairvoyance. In Freemasonry, it's the all-seeing eye. In Egyptology, it's the eye of Horus. Somebody, want ask, somebody once asked me, well, what about the right eye or the left eye? Here's the significance of either one. The left eye in Egyptology represents the moon god. The right eye represents the sun god. And what you're going to notice is each of the artists, as they communicate which one they are more in their own worship style, a supporter of, they communicate that in their own art, in their posters, on their CD covers, on their album covers. Why the eye? Once again, a distortion of Christian principles. The psalmist David wrote in Psalm 119, verse 18, say this with me, open my eyes that I may see what? Wondrous things from your law. But look at the eye again, as Jesus said, seeing they may see and what? Not perceive and hearing they may hear and what else? Not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. It is not amazing or coincidental that the devil said to Eve, your eyes will be opened. In other words, if you disobey, you'll see more. That's what he suggested to her. You'll see more than God intends for you to see. Well, I want to tell you today, there's some things that I've seen that I wish I've never seen. Anybody else? And you know what? No matter how old you get, it just sits in your mind. And there are certain occasions, certain scents, Certain places you go, certain music you hear, it brings back the things that you thought were long forgotten. But that's what the devil wants to do. And you know what I studied about the eye? The eye is an amazing instrument. In, in, in one second, the eye can take in 1.5 million bits of information and file them away based on your preferences as to what's most important and what's least important. An example, case in point, your wife and you may be driving in the car and you pass a shoe store. She'll remember that. And you pass an automotive store. You remember that. And you're going 60 miles an hour and say, okay, Napa Audio. Oh, <laughs> whatever. The eye sees it, boom, files it right away. 22nd and 5th Avenue. You remember that. That's how quick the eye is. So these subliminal commercials... Well, they'll flash something in the middle of a video ever so quickly, and your eye picks it up and files it, and you say, I just, did you just see that? The eye saw it and filed it away for further use in the future. When you think about the eye, the Hebrew word for eye means to broaden, to give a greater understanding. And Satan said to Eve, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and he suggests you will be like... God knowing good and evil. Genesis 3 and verse 5. Now, I'm going to show you a, a, a group of artists who focus very much on the eye. 
And you'll notice that each one of these are stars of mega fame and fortune. Let me make a point. Unless you, unless you literally, and this is what Janet Jackson's uh, entertainment lawyer told me, he said, there are artists that become very well known, but to become a mega artist, you've got to make a contract. You've got to agree to certain conditions before you get to that mega stardom level. When you get to that mega stardom level, you begin to experience the fame and fortune. If you're just a good singer and you have a couple of songs that become famous, he said, that's not a mega star. But when you get to the point of mega stardom and the money's rolling in and the fame is rolling in and the identity and the accolade is rolling in, you have arrived at a place where you have made a contract with Satan. Here's some of the artists you remember. Here's Prince. You notice he has, in, to the far left, he's in concert. He has on a, a pair of glasses with three lenses because they consider the third eye to be the eye of deeper discernment, the spiritual eye, the clairvoyant eye. In the center, you see him again. And then the album cover or the album to the far right was an album that became double platinum. And notice in the very center of that, he has his eye. Look at the artists that communicate this on their album covers. You have a young lady to the right by the name of Aaliyah and one to the left called Left Eye Lopez. That was her initial name. Now, I want to make a point. Both of these artists died while they were young because the wages of sin is death. You cannot tamper with Satan and not expect somewhere that he's going to call for a payment. Let me give you some history. Aaliyah, very young, attractive girl, very famous. She rose to prominence quickly. In the very last, the very last movie she did before she died was called Queen of the Damned, a demonic movie where she played a demonic figure. And after that, death. Died in a plane accident. Lisa Left Eye Lopez, her own, there were two other girls in the group, and whenever she stayed at hotels, sometimes, and, and this is in, um, I have the magazine that I read the articles from, the name of the magazine escapes me right now, but I have it in my library at home. Uh, people have said that when she would stay at their hotels, sometimes they would knock on her door because they would hear fighting going on in the room, but she's the only one. And her other artists, the other two girls, said that she often struggled with her own demons. How did she die? On her way, driving in her vehicle, in a, in a, in a place where they were going to have a concert that evening. They're, they're, they're suggesting that there was some kind of demonic altercation in her vehicle because she lost control of it and died in the car accident. Lisa Left Eye Lopez. Once again, notice how they're accentuating the eye. And this is not unintentional. You've got to be real intentional to go like this. Do you do that normally? Hi, how are you? <laughs> you gotta really, you gotta be intentional. You go all the way around. That's some serious stretching. Then here we have Lady Gaga, a very cordial name. What's your friend's name? Gaga. These pictures are intentional. Those in the industry understand its communique. Then you have other artists. You have Ice Cube, a hip hop rapper. 
Then you have Mike, uh, George Michaels. Once again, do they take these pictures coincidentally? No, they're communicating that they are part of the industry. And these are megastars. At least some of them were megastars. Then you have Christina Aguilera. Notice the title of her album on the right, Lift Me Up. Coincidental? No. Young people lift them up. And what you'll discover as I go later in this series, there's a book called The 48 Laws of Power. The 48 Laws of Power. Like we follow the Ten Commandments of God, in this book, in order to be famous and to maintain your anonymity and to keep a distance between you and your audience, they simply live by the 48 Laws of Power. And these 48 laws have been compiled over the course of study that, that takes us back 3,000 years. The person, Robert Greene, that compiled this book, he's the main contributor. There's also a co-author with him. But the main contributor studied the masters, the arts, dynasties, kings, uh, people in power, Hitler, Mussolini, Egyptian dynasty, Chinese dynasty, kingdoms throughout, from Babylonian Empire all the way forward, they studied the methods that were used by these great, prominent, famous men and how they gained power, and they included these 48 laws in this one book called The 48 Laws of Power. Now, let me tell you, please don't go get it. Because let me tell you something, the laws work. But these are not Christian laws. These are laws designed to manipulate and to perpetrate one's own will, and to enforce one's own desires on someone else. And people that follow it, it works. Now, I'm praying about whether or not I should show you something tomorrow, maybe later on today. But what many of you don't know is that's how many of our politicians rise to the point of president. They follow these laws. It's among our bankers. It's among our mega mogul millionaires. It's among great property owners. It's among those who are in the, uh, whether in the computer industry or Facebook or whatever, it's among all of those. These guys live by these laws. And just as God's law offers us success when we live in obedience to his commandments, these laws offer success and fame and fortune if they follow the principles of these laws. Here's another person by the name of Gabrielle and, well, Lionel Richie. Coincidental? Absolutely not. Another young lady by the name of Belinda, she's now passed off the scene. She's not dead. But every year, it seems, whenever, like, for example, um, uh, Christina Aguilera, Miley Cyrus, these are young ladies that are chosen by the music industry to gain a following. Miley Cyrus, what was her earlier name? But she had another one. Hannah Montana, thank you. She was Hannah Montana, and all the little girls says, I want Hannah Montana's purse. I want Hannah Montana's pocketbook. I want Hannah Montana's favorite color. She was Hannah Montana, and the young girls went crazy over Hannah Montana. But when Hannah Montana hit 18, her father, Billy Ray Silas, had an article in Rolling Stone magazine that said she almost destroyed their family because when she crossed over, when she hit 18, she went from being Hannah Montana to a demonic. And you see it today? Lord, have mercy. 
So what happened is the young girls had idolized her when she was Hannah Montana, crossed over with her, crossed over the abyss with Miley Cyrus. The same thing with Taylor Swift. Everybody says, she's such a clean artist. She looks so wholesome. She's the all-American girl. <laughs> Listen to her music now. It's getting darker and darker and darker because they are disciples. They lead you, they lead you gradually. It's a seduction. Look at some of the other artists here. Selena Gomez, Estelle, all accentuating either the right or the left eye. Here's another artist. Evanescence. They're looking through what is perpetrated as the thorns that were on Christ's head, and they are accentuating the left eye. Shakira. And by the way, no artist is exempt. Some of you are going to take a gasp when I get to some of your favorite artists. But that's all right. There's Miley Cyrus after she was no longer Hannah Montana. Accentuating the right eye, covering, accentuating the left, covering the right. Then Katy Perry, she wanted to make it very, very clear. So she had a big old gigantic Egyptian eye to make it obvious. Here's a character that we are not shocked by. Marilyn Manson, the high priest of the Church of Satan. And on his cap, he has a cross as if he's a Christian. But they wear that cross because they take pride in the crucifixion of Christ. Also, you have Chris Brown, which was an artist, a rapper that was always in trouble, fighting, in jail, always in court. And there he is accentuating the left eye. Then you have Justin Timberlake, still famous to this very day. But notice his album cover title, Magic. Why? Because magic is a part of the terminology used in the occult world. Not the sleight of hand, but the manipulation of the mind. He's not only accentuating the left eye, but also he's using the symbol indicating 666. And I'll talk about that in just a moment. 666. Three tails, one circle. 666. That's how they communicate that. And the young people, when they go around, they say, Hey, what's up? How you doing? They have no idea what they're communicating. They think it's a cool symbol. But that's not what it is. Rihanna, Taylor Swift, I think by now you get the cadence. Taylor Swift does not look like your all-American girl by any chance. That's who, he, that's who she has become. Okay, time for the gasps. Here you have Adele and Celine Dion. That's right. Ask yourself the question, how does anyone sell out every night three years in a row in Las Vegas, the city of sin, if they haven't made a contract with the devil? So you might say, Celine Dion is innocuous, some music, is, you know, some beautiful songs. But her fame is directly related, not to coincidence or just artist capacity, but you don't get into the city of sin and sell out for three years in a row unless you made a contract with the devil. Listen to the testimony of Adele. She's an English artist. Listen to what she says. And this was on Facebook. Somebody told me about it, and I said, nah, that cannot possibly be, and I went and found it myself. And this is what she says. She's hugging, by the way. She's hugging, embracing a picture of Beyonce, and listen to what she says. She says, I'm not late on this. I've just been speechless. Beyonce is the most inspiring person I've ever had the pleasure of worshiping. 
Thank God, small g-o-d, for Beyonce X. They're not thanking God above. They're thanking their God. And a lot of these artists come out of absolutely nowhere. Because I remember, I'm, I'm living here in America, obviously, but when I heard the name Adele, I thought, who is that? I never heard her before. Then all of a sudden, she was winning every music award, every Grammy award. It's like, the, the, the song of the year, Adele. The album of the year, Adele. The, the tune of the year, Adele. The top one, Adele. And I'm thinking, who is that? I never heard her before. But let me tell you something. This whole quest for fame and fortune is the very seduction that keeps our young people clamoring to touch these individuals. But one of the laws in the 48 Laws of Power is create an environment where your fans desire to touch you, but never let them touch you. So their quest is this never-ending desire to touch and embrace the person that's famous, but they say, never let them touch you. And then the other reason, one of the reasons why we see them often looking so different, why they're always changing their hairstyle. One day they're bald-headed, next day they have blue hair, next day they have green hair. Kind of sounds like my sister. <laughs> my sister's in New York. She works for the fire department and police department, and I can never tell what her next hair color is going to be. One day she went to the, to the motor vehicle to get her driver's license picture taken. Her hair was nine colors that day. And they said, what color should we pick to put on your driver's license? She said to the guy, pick a color. It changes, sometimes red or blue or gold or orange or bright green. Now, she's not in that world. She just doesn't know what hair color she likes. But in their world, they're continually changing their persona. One day they'll look very weird with a horn coming out of their head or their cap or like Michael Jackson with a glove or Prince with a symbol. That's, that's, the, that's their way of identifying themselves with what they call this an anonymity. They don't know what it means, but it's so intriguing people want to find out what's behind that. So they become enamored by these artists who present this, this godlike persona. And that's one of the 48 laws. Never let them predict how you're going to look. So when you see them, they're always changing. And what do we do? All of us that are fashion conscious or, or conscious about external looks, they say, wow, what are they going to be wearing tonight? So when the Grammys come on or the, or the Oscars come on, what do they focus on? What they're wearing, how they look. That's why when they find out in just a matter of time, people want to buy that outfit. What they don't understand is these individuals are establishing the very kind of worship that the Apostle Paul speaks against. Notice what he says in Romans 1, verse 25. Who exchange the truth of God for what? For the lie. And worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now let's talk about the rise of J.K. Rowling, Harry Potter. Joanne Rowling is her real name. Her rags-to-riches story was told just recently. As a matter of fact, let me open my bag. I think I have it in here. Here it is. Just got it. Collector's Edition. 20 Years of Magic. All about Harry Potter, the rise of J.K. Rowling. Every detail you want to think of, they've done some extensive research on how this, how this almost a woman who was living on public assistance in England is now richer than the Queen of England. 
how do you rise to that prominence? And they talk about it all through here. They show, they show her rise, her before and after, all the artists. Let's, let's, let's find out some facts about her very quickly. When she first wrote her first Harry Potter book, only 500 copies of her first Harry Potter book were sold. Now, you would get kind of, you know, if, if we sold 500 books, we'd be excited. But for that kind of book, she was very discouraged. But follow this carefully, and you'll see the symbolism. The first 12 publishers rejected her book. The 13th one accepted it. Harry Potter series has sold more than 500 million books. Parents talked about their children. I read, I read some of the stories, some of the accounts, where parents who couldn't even get their children to do their math were devouring these four and five hundred page books. Couldn't take it from them. One parent talked about their child who threatened them with violence. He was only seven years old. He threatened his mother with violence if she took his Harry Potter book. What kind of spirit is in it? What kind of spirit takes hold of them? And what saddens me, and I remember this, somebody once told me that, oh, I, I don't want to even say this, but I have to say it because it fits. In one of our schools, the required reading was a Harry Potter book for, for book report. And when they, told, when they called me, said, Uncle John, do you realize? I said, are you kidding me? They said, you know what I said? I'm not reading it. Can I get an amen? I'm not reading it. Because as is, the case with, uh, as is the case with Alistair Crowley's Bible, the book of the law, Libra Avalir, just when you open and you read this kind of thing, Hogwarts and demons and wizards and all these spirits, and this is what's getting in the minds of the children. So when you are so possessed by an evil spirit and you try to read your Bible, it seems like this false spirit is so in control of your heart and your mind and your life that you don't want anything that's religious. It later goes on to say, she became so wealthy, but she lost her billionaire status by giving much of her wealth to charity. But her estimated worth is $789 million. I think that'll last a lifetime. What do you think? Well, look at some of the significance here. When J.K. Rowling wrote a review on one of the books that she was writing, one of the Harry Potter series, she intentionally included only 93 words in her description. Well, the number 93 comes from one of Alistair Crowley's book called The Book of Lies. Now, this is amazing. All the book has in it are lies. And people read the book of lies to learn how to do what? So in this book of lies, the number 93 is emphasized over and over and over. So when J.K. Rowling wrote this review of her book or this uh, brief summary of the book Harry Potter, she only used 93 words. Look at amazing. So the occultists notice that and look at this. According to CNN Entertainment, May 29, 2008, a 93-word story card from Rowling which referred to the book Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix sold in 2002 for $53,000. Somebody wanted that description and they were willing to pay $53,000 just for her 93-word description of her book. Why? Because to an occultist, that's a significant piece of artifacts. 93 words. Now, why 93? Let's find out. 93 is the numerical value of philema, the Greek word for the will. 
People who follow Thelemic paths base much of their information on the works of Alistair Crowley. Crowley believed that he received messages that he was a new messiah and was to create a new religion called Thelema. Let's go ahead and look at that breakdown. Here are the words in Greek or the letters in Greek, and there is the number or the number significance, the association. And when you add it all up at the very bottom, it comes out with the Greek word, the will, and the number 93. Coincidental? No, absolutely not. Intentional. Let's look at another one. On the OTO religious symbolism, on these obelisks, at the very bottom you have the number 418, and you have on the left column the word abracadabra. Now, I'm going to take my time on this one. I have five minutes, but I'll make it. In Greek numerology, you find the word in Greek, which is the Greek spelling for Iowas, equals 418. No coincidence. The very God that communicated this demonic message to Aleister Crowley, when you add up the significance of his name, it adds up to 418, and they include that on the obelisk to communicate that secret message. But now let's look at something else. In the mystical interpretation using the quabalistic numerology of Gamatria, 418 also equals Abrahadabra, which also adds up to the number 13. Now, let me ask you the question. Have you heard, have, have you heard Abrahadabra before? How have you heard it? How have you heard it? Abracadabra. Look at this. 418, Abrahadabra is also referred to as the word of double power. I think it was a Mary Poppins uh, movie where they use the word abracadabra, abracadabra, and then all of a sudden the lightning flashed and it began to pour rain, the word of double power. More specifically, it represents the uniting of the microcosm and the macrocosm, two worlds coming together, represented by the pentagram and the hexagram, the rose and the cross, also symbolisms in masonry, the circle and the square, and the five and the six point also, as also called, the attainment of the knowledge and conversation of one's holy guardian angel. And I mentioned this to you before, this holy guardian angel that occultists look for, we pray for the Holy Spirit to guide us. They pray for these evil angels to guide them. So let me put this together. What many of you don't know, and I'm going to go ahead and get the confirmation, I mentioned this in my series, and I got affirmation from Janet Jackson's entertainment lawyer. When a DVD or CD is produced, I hope you don't miss this. When a DVD or CD is produced with that kind of music, on the 13th floor at Universal is a room they call The Room. It's either sometimes a black door or a red door, depending on which location of Universal it is. I mentioned that, and it was confirmed to me. And what they do before that CD or DVD is mass-produced, they take the master and they put it in the center of a pentagram. And they invite 13 witches and warlocks to surround it. And they pray. Get this. Here's their prayer. Wherever that CD or DVD goes, please send an evil spirit with it. You wonder how your children become the kind of children that they are. Just check the library. 
Just see what they have in their library, their CD library. Nowadays, the devil has become more clandestine and more, and more uh, as I use the word, uh, covert or overt because they don't use CDs anymore. They download them on their I. I, 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 iPad, iPod, iPhone. Does I mean anything? I will be like. He's found many ways. I was standing in the foyer of my church, actually going for my Sabbath school. I wish we had two hours a day, but that's okay. I don't have it. Because i got so much to share with you. So come on time tomorrow. I was between my Sabbath school class and going into the sanctuary when I was in California. And we had a young man leaning against the wall in the church. And he was kind of going like this. And I thought, okay, great. He's listening to some Christian music in preparation for the church service. When I walked past him, it was so loud it almost blew my head off. And I took his earplugs out and said, what are you listening to? Here he is in the church foyer listening to that kind of music and, I, and then I said to him, no wonder you sleep during the sermon because your mind is so inoculated, you're so drugged by the music that's pulling you away from Christ. When things about Christ come to the forefront, there is not a strain in your body that's even receptive to anything that's holy. That's why our young people are being lulled into a spiritual stupor because of what they're listening to. Parents, know what's on your children's iPhone. Come on now, say amen. Know what's on their iPads. Know what, what they're listening to. And don't just check what they give you because they have ways of hiding that stuff even right in front of you. My wife and I used to do what we call uh, unannounced checks of our nieces and nephews' room. We're coming in. Wait, not yet. Give them time to hide it. No, let me tell you something. Don't be your kid's friend. Be their parent. And when you guide them in the way that they should be going, God will bless you for preparing their minds, not only for service down here, but for being representatives of God in his eternal kingdom. Well, the sad reality is my time has come and gone. But tomorrow, we have tomorrow and Friday, and I'm trying my best to cover as much as I can in being in great detail. I'm just tipping the iceberg. 30, Thursday and Friday. What's today? Today is Wednesday, sweetheart. My wife, is on, my wife is still living in Tuesday. But as long as she's with me, I don't care. So let's pray. Let's pray. Loving Father in heaven, I know, Lord, I'm presenting a lot of information that for many, they're hearing it for the first time. But I know it's going to be on DVD. We have the materials. I know that many people desire to have a stronger spiritual life for their children, for their churches, for their youth groups, for our schools, for our colleges. We're in a war, Lord, and we pray that we can put on the whole armor of God. We are not wrestling against forces that we can see easily, but Satan has come down having great wrath because he knows he has a short time. Help us to be wise. Help us to be deeply concerned about the welfare of our families. Help us to be selective in our entertainment in our music, and what we allow our children to watch. For really, only when the final tally is taken will it be seen whether or not we have guided our family in the way that you'll have us to go. And Father, where we have fallen short, forgive us. 
but help us now to take measures that will strengthen and enlighten and prepare us in mind and body and entertainment for eternity. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.